Hello and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of Corny and Lynn's Legal Chatter Podcast. My name is Brittany and I'm a law clerk in our employment law team. On today's episode, I'm joined by one of our employment lawyers, Melissa Zulch, to chat about employment contracts and in particular negotiating an employment contract and other important things to note before you sign that contract. To start us off, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Brittany. I've been working at Corny and Lind uh, Lawyers for about 18 months now. I love a variety um, of different legal um, practices, and so I have the privilege of working in uh, a few different legal areas here. Um, However, I do predominantly practice in the areas of family law, employment law, uh, and educational law matters. Um, I guess the thing I really enjoy most about being an employment lawyer, especially when I'm dealing with employees, uh, is the very people-centered nature of the job and the issues. Um, Being able to assist employees in what can often be a very difficult time Uh, as we're dealing with issues that affect their livelihood is something I really enjoy. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Melissa. I guess the best place to start our conversation today is with this question. What exactly is an employment contract? Good question. An employment contract is an agreement between an employer and an employee that sets out the terms and conditions of the employment. Generally speaking, a prospective employer will make you an offer of employment, if you are, of course, successful in your application for the role, and they will provide you with an employment contract for your consideration. It's then open to you as the prospective employee to accept or reject this offer of employment. By signing an employment contract, you are agreeing to the terms and conditions of your employment with that employer. The terms and conditions of the employment will vary depending on your employer, the industry that you work in, and the type of your employment, whether you're full-time, part-time, or casual. Generally speaking, terms and conditions include things like, what is the position? Uh, Are there any requirements for you to perform that role, such as a license, a visa, or some sort of qualification? What your duties and responsibilities will be during your employment, the location of where you'll work, the hours and days that you will work, the remuneration for the services that you provide to and on behalf of that employer, any employee entitlement, such as annual leave or personal carer's leave, uh, and other conditions such as confidentiality, intellectual property, and terms regarding the termination of that employment agreement. Now, employment contracts should be in writing, uh, but they can also be verbal uh, verbal agreements, although I, I do not recommend uh, verbal employment agreements. Uh, it's also important to note that your employment contract cannot make you any worse off than your minimum legal entitlements under the National Employment Standards or any award or enterprise bargaining agreement that may be applicable to your workplace or your industry. For example, if you work as a personal trainer, you are most likely covered by the Fitness Industry Award. If the Fitness Industry Award says an employee who works on a Sunday has an hourly rate um, that's paid at 200%, that means double time, uh, then your employment contract cannot say that if you work on a Sunday, uh, you will be paid at uh, time and a half. So even when an employment contract is a verbal one, although again, I don't recommend verbal agreements, um, that verbal agreement cannot be on terms that would be less than uh, your minimum legal entitlements. Yeah, it's very insightful, um, some of those observations. Thank you for that, Val. 
So in your job as an employment lawyer, you draft contracts for employees to use, but I also know that you receive um, quite a few inquiries from employees who have been given an employment contract uh, and want you to help them understand the terms and conditions prior to signing them. Can you tell us what would, what would be your top tips for an employee um, who was looking at a contract for the first time? Um, what should they look out for before they sign it? Yeah, of course. I can give uh, many tips, but I'll, I'll try and keep them to just 10 uh, tips today. So firstly, um, I would say look at your employment contract and work out what the nature of your employment is. Are you being employed full-time? Are you being employed part-time? Or are you being employed as a casual employee? Um, different rights will attach to the nature of your employment. So for example, full-time and part-time employees will um, receive uh, annual leave, personal carers leave, and other types of leave under the Fair Work Act. Uh, whether that be on a full-time basis, you get all of it. On a part-time basis, you might get pro rata. Um, but casual employees don't have leave. Um, there's also, as I'm sure, if you're, um, you've been monitoring the employment law sphere for a while, there's been some recent changes to uh, casual employees and, and what that means. So um, making sure you know what is the nature of your employment at the very beginning is really important. Um, if you thought the role was going to be full-time, make sure your employment contract says that it is a full-time employment contract. The second tip I'll say is have a look at your probationary period. Most employers now have uh, probationary periods in uh, an employment contract because this allows uh, an organization to essentially make sure that you're the right fit, that you can perform the role, um, you know, that there aren't any issues with your conduct or your performance during a certain period of time. And it allows them to um, terminate that employment contract or allows you to terminate the employment contract with little notice um, and potentially little recourse if it turns out that you know you're not meeting the mark or you're not a good fit or vice versa if you don't enjoy it at that place if you're not loving it, um, it it gives you a way out and usually these probationary periods are um, six months uh, the reason for that is uh, in the Fair Work uh, Act if you wanted to have some sort of recourse for unfair dismissal, for example, there's a minimum employment period of six months for uh, permanent employees before you can bring that claim. Um, so essentially the probationary period just lines up with what the Fair Work Act says as uh, what's the minimum employment to commence uh, legal action. And for casual employees, that's 12 months. So you have to be employed for a minimum of 12 months before you can make a claim for unfair dismissal. Um, and so, yeah, that's why we usually see probationary periods around the six-month mark. The third thing I'd say to look at is what's your the oh, if I can English today, what's the duration of your employment? So, is it an ongoing employment? So, you sign up and you stay there for as long as you want, or as long as um, you know your employer wants to have you around, or is it a fixed-term contract? Are you only there for a certain period of time, and there's no guarantee of employment after that point in time? Make sure that you look at that and you're aware of, um, of any uh, duration of your employment. The fourth thing I'd say to look at is get across your termination clauses in your contract. Now, you'll often see that there's termination with notice and termination without notice. Now, from an employer perspective, they can only terminate you without any sort of notice if you've engaged in serious misconduct. And this is usually set out in your employment contract. They're looking at things like uh, 
fraud, theft, uh, violence, you know, damage to property, um, things of a serious nature, um, or if you fail to follow a lawful and reasonable direction of your employer, things like that uh, would give your employer uh, the ability to terminate the contract without notice. And then for your employer to terminate you with notice, they still have to have a valid reason for doing so. Um, so they can't just one day decide they don't like you and they're going to terminate your employment and pay you your four weeks notice period or two weeks or three months, whatever your notice period may be. Um, you know, they still have to have a valid reason. And that usually comes down to things like redundancy, misconduct, uh, that's not serious, or performance issues um, where you've been performance management for, for a period of time. So um, have a look at your termination clauses. Make sure you understand them and make sure, um, you know, that you're, you're happy with the notice period if you are terminated. Know what period of notice you have to give if you want to resign and what the notice is that they have to give you if they are to, ter- to terminate your employment. The fifth thing I'd say to look at is check your contract for any post-employment obligations. Now, usually uh, it's quite standard to have a post-employment obligation of confidentiality. So any confidential information that you obtained or, or learned or, you know, created or anything like that during your employment, um, your confidentiality obligations in that regard continue even if you resign or are terminated by your employer. The other thing to look at, and this will depend on, you know, the type of work that you do you know, how senior you are and things like that, um, is you may have a restraint of trade clause. And this essentially means uh, you can be restrained from working for a competitor in a certain geographical area and for a certain period of time following the end of your employment. Um, Or uh, you can be restrained from poaching clients, suppliers, contractors, uh, other employees, things like that from your employer Uh, for a certain period of time uh, following your employment. So um, make sure you you see if if this applies to you uh, and get legal advice on how that's going to affect you if you do resign or if you are terminated uh, before you sign the contract. The sixth point that I'll make is intellectual property. Now, this one is, is quite a big one because I want you to think about before you sign a contract, are you currently working on something uh, that you are continuing to work on when you start your employment that your employer might say, well, you created that during your employment, therefore we are the rightful owners of that and not you. If you are working on something, you, you want to make sure that that is excluded and in writing that it is excluded from that intellectual property clause. Um, Likewise, if you start working on something during your employment that might be considered the intellectual property of your employer, have the discussion with them to see if you can get an agreement in writing that says anything that you create is not going to be considered the intellectual property of your employer. Um, Now, oftentimes this doesn't apply to many of us, but I am not the creative type. I'm probably not going to create an app during my employment with Corny and Lind. Um, you know, that could be used by lawyers or, you know, clients or things like that. But if I was going to create this app, I would want to make sure that I am the rightful owner of that app. And I would work with my employer to make sure that we have an agreement in writing that says this thing that I create is not the intellectual property of my employer. So make sure 
you read that clause, you understand what it means, you get legal advice. Uh, and yeah, if you are creating or think you will create something in the future, try and have that excluded. The seventh point I'll make is check your remuneration. Is this what you discussed with your employer? Is there any salary packaging? Does your salary uh, include super or is it excluding super uh, when you look at the total package? If you're, class- if you're classified under an award, is your classification level correct? Because that will affect your remuneration. Are you to receive any exempt fringe benefits? What does that look like? Uh, if that's part of your employment, make sure you know what that means and you get legal advice about how that affects you because it will have tax obligations for you and your employer. Are you receiving a phone, a car, a laptop, all those kind of things? If you've been told something during your employment, uh, you know, like you'll be given a laptop as part of your job, make sure that's in the contract as part of your remuneration and salary packaging. We're getting close to 10 points, I promise. The eighth thing I'll say is, and this is something um, that I, I, I often raise when I do contract reviews with my employees because not many people would know this, but there is a clause in most employment contracts that says this is the entire agreement between an employer and an employee. And so you might find yourself in a position where you've discussed with uh, someone during the employment or the application process uh, certain terms and they've said, yeah, yeah, great. No, we'll, we'll absolutely do that. If it is not in the employment contract in writing and you sign it, you might not receive the benefit of those terms. So you're signing up for a job where you think certain terms will apply, um, but that actually hasn't been captured in your employment contract because the employment contract is the entire agreement between you and your employer. So make sure if you've discussed anything uh, with this employer or if you've negotiated terms of the contract, make sure that that is included in writing. Don't take their word for it that, yeah, 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 this is just a standard contract, but we'll make sure that you get that additional entitlement or that additional benefit. Make sure it's in the, in the contract because if somewhere down the line there is a dispute as to that, um, you know, you don't want to find yourself in a position where uh, they say, oh, well, you signed the contract and it's not in there. So it couldn't have been the case. If they're making a representation to you that you will receive a certain benefit uh, or entitlement or, you know, they're, they're varying a, a term of the normal or their standard contract, just check that that is actually included in writing and don't sign it until they do amend uh, that, that term. Um, the, the ninth thing I'm going to say is uh, understand that the policies and procedures of your employer do not form part of your employment contract. And you'll see this clause in your contract that you sign. You, when you sign the employment contract, are agreeing to abide by their policies and procedures. But chances are you don't know what those policies and procedures are. You haven't looked at them. You haven't read them. You don't know what they say and you are signing a contract that says I will abide by the policies and procedures of my employer. Now the reason it's not uh, it doesn't form part of the employment contract is that if your employer wanted to change their sexual harassment policy and it formed part of the employment contract they would need to get everyone to re-sign their contract if that policy needed to be amended. And chances are you don't re-sign a contract where it's to your detriment. You want to have, you know, the best um, uh, agreement that that's uh, in your best interest. So 
what what this clause allows your employer to do is update and change their policies from time to time and they will notify you when policies are amended and you are responsible for making sure that you read it and you know what it says because your employment contract will say that you agree to abide by those and not complying with a policy or procedure of your employer can amount to misconduct and potentially serious misconduct depending on um, what that conduct is. So do you know what your employer's or prospective employer's uh, policies are? Ask where you can find them. Ask if they've got anything for you to read beforehand Um, because when you sign that contract, you are saying, I will abide by their policies. Now they could have a uniform policy and if you agree to abide by it and it says, you know, you can't wear a pink shirt and all your shirts are pink you're not going to want to sign that contract and I know that's a silly example but uh, yes make sure you at least ask them uh, what their policies are if they can be found on their website or something and and read those before you sign the contract and the last point that I will raise or the last tip that I will give today is know your jurisdiction so in an employment contract it'll say if the parties are in dispute about anything in this agreement Uh, the laws of X will apply. So if you are based in Queensland in Australia, you would want that jurisdictional clause to say, if we have a dispute, the laws of Queensland will apply to this agreement, interpreting it and resolving that dispute. You know, particularly if you're working for a national company, you know, you might be based in Queensland, but the head office is in Perth, Western Australia. Um, you know, you don't really want the laws of Western Australia to apply to your employment agreement because if you needed to fight it in a, in a court, you'd have to apply to a Western Australia court and get a Western Australia lawyer. Uh, so if you are based in Queensland, we would say, hey, negotiate that term of your contract uh, and, and get that to be Queensland. And even more so if you work for an international organisation. The last thing you want to do is find yourself in a position where the laws of the United States apply to the t- your employment uh, if there's a dispute. Um, yeah, you really want to make sure that where you are, that's the laws that will apply. Wow, it's a lot to take in. Melissa, thank you so much for sharing. I think some of them um, aren't as much common sense as we would think, and so it is insightful mm. to get some more detail about things to look out for. Mm. Look, I know you promised 10, but I just have one um, question. If you had to take away one practical tip for your audience um, in terms of the whole process of getting a new job and looking at contracts, what would your number one practical tip be? Ah, yes. Do not resign from your current employment until you have signed your employment contract with your next employer. It's a very risky place. Um, You know, you don't want to find yourself in a position where all of a sudden you're unemployed because you resigned from your employment Uh, And then before you sign the employment contract, this new employer you thought you were going to work for uh, withdraws their offer uh, to you because they've made an offer for you to work with them. You haven't yet signed it or accepted it. And then they uh, withdraw that offer. So uh, I would say don't resign until you have signed your next employment contract and you have that guarantee of employment. Yeah, thanks, Mel. That's a very handy tip. Not something we would have thought about Um, before. Now look, just to conclude our podcast today, you've talked a lot about um, what to look out for in a contract, but um, what are an employee's options or a prospective employee's options um, if there is something wrong? Uh, In terms of the terms and conditions of the employment contract, are they negotiable? And um, often in your experience, what are the, the terms that are generally negotiated? Yeah, of course. You can definitely negotiate the terms of your employment. 
um, before you sign the employment contract. Now you may do that in the application process when you find out information, or you may do that once you've received the letter of offer or the employment contract for you to sign. Um, don't be afraid of negotiating uh, your employment contract. Uh, the things I often see being negotiated are things like remuneration. You know, if you're wanting uh, a bit more pay or you want to change the way that your salary packaging is done, um, you know, the notice period on termination. Uh, ordinarily, we see four weeks, um, but depending on the nature and your seniority, uh, you might want to negotiate a three-month notice period. Uh, you know, uh, we often see that that, that is... Um, negotiated as well uh, you can negotiate your restraint of trade clauses the ones I was talking about before where you have non-competes um, and they're called non-solicitation but essentially you can't poach people um, you can reduce the geographical area you know if it says it's all of Australia you might want to negotiate that down to a 50 kilometer radius uh, from your workplace uh, or the length of time so whether it be 12 six three months one month two weeks um, you know, restraints of trade clauses, we could do a podcast just on that. Uh, so make sure you're getting advice on that, but they can be negotiated as well. Uh, like I said before, negotiate your jurisdiction, make sure it's the right one. Um, and as discussed earlier, as well as your intellectual property, you can negotiate that and, and have a clause added uh, to specifically include something that you might be working on. But to finish up, I will say, don't be afraid to negotiate even once you are employed. Um, you know, most employers will have a yearly review um, where you can negotiate certain terms. And as you stay there, particularly if you're there for a long period of time, circumstances change uh, in your life and in your environment. Uh, and you may need to go negotiate um, some flexibility there. Uh, you now you can do an, uh, an independent flexibility arrangement, um, or you could just negotiate your terms, get a new contract and, and sign that new contract. So don't be afraid. I know it's a scary thing to do. The last thing you want them to do is withdraw an offer uh, or make them upset, but um, it's actually a very normal thing to do. And I would encourage you um, yeah, to negotiate before you sign a contract, but know that that's not the end of your abilities. You can continue to negotiate during your employment as things change. And do you think signing contracts and things like that, is that something that um, having a lawyer is really helpful for. I think a lot of our audience and myself included, often when we get a contract, we're just quite quick to just hit that sign button um, mm. and get started. And so in your experience, is it valuable mm. to get that legal advice? Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if you're not sure what something means or if you don't think it's right, um, get legal advice. Um you know, some, if not all, employment contracts will have a clause that says uh, you've when you're signing this, you're saying, I have received independent legal advice or I've at least had the opportunity to receive independent legal advice regarding the terms of this employment. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to get legal advice either. Uh, you know, we offer employment contract review um, services here at Corny and Lind and we just take an hour of your time. We walk through the contract with you and we make sure you're across what your legal rights are um, by signing that agreement. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid to get legal advice either if you're unsure about anything. Perfect. Well, thank you, Mel. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to um, discuss this important topic with us. Um, thank you to all of our audience as well. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and be sure to keep an eye out for the next Legal Chatter episode. 
on your preferred streaming platform. Great. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 07-3252-0011 or go to www.cornyandlind.com.au forward slash contact.